Let's turn in our Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 13. John's Gospel, chapter 13. And our text is verses 31 and verse 32. John chapter 13, verses 31 and 32. So when he had gone out, that's Judas, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him immediately. You don't have to be around in Christian circles for long to hear the word glory being used. It's used when people pray, which is a good thing. When they pray that God will be glorified. You hear it in preaching, as you'll hear it a lot this evening, about God being glorified. Who should be glorified? The triune God of the Bible. What does it mean to glorify? We use the word a lot. What does it actually mean? Well, the Greek word here is dokadso, where we get doxology from. You ever heard of the word doxology? comes from this word here, dokadza, to glorify, to lift up, to praise, to magnify, to worship, to adore. And when we come to worship God, and when we come to praise God, and when we come to glorify him, we don't do it without our minds. In fact, the base word of this word dokadza, which means to glorify, is a word called dokio, which means to think and to reason. The very base, the very root word of glorify means to think and to reason. So far from unplugging our brains when we come to glorify God, we actually engage our brains. We actually think. We actually use the the brain that God has given us. And we glorify him with the mind. It doesn't stop at the mind. It goes into the heart, into the thoughts of the heart. But that's where it begins, with the mind. We don't switch off our minds and we come to worship or glorify God. We glorify him by our minds and our hearts and our whole being. We praise God. Why do we talk about glory? Because that's the central theme of these two verses, isn't it? You notice with me that they're used five times in two verses that were glorified or glorify. Five times in two verses. So it's clear, isn't it, what the central theme is? Very clear, isn't it? It's talking about glory. And who? God the Father and God the Son. And although not mentioned in our text, God the Holy Spirit should be glorified as well. The triune God of the Bible. Now what's the context? Well, Judas, the betrayer of our Lord, has been identified. Our Lord is at pains to reveal Judas. He's gracious He doesn't openly tell the disciples. He could have done, and I'm sure we would have done. We could have sat the disciples down, couldn't he? And he could have said, listen, Judas is bad. He's going to betray me. But he doesn't. He doesn't hang out his spiritual dirty laundry to dry, does he? Even when he's made, even when he's pressed, even then he reveals it in code language by giving him this this piece of bread, by dipping it into this pot of herbs or fruits or whatever it was, And even then, that was an act of friendship in Eastern culture. To actually dip a piece of bread and to give it to somebody, you're offering friendship. And even at this 11th hour, Jesus was offering Judas friendship. 
Which is why he said, friend, why have you come when he finally came to arrest him? With the, with the detachment of troops, Judas, betraying our Lord. Christ is so gracious. But finally, he goes to the point of no return, even after all the wooings of our Lord to return. And he goes out, and it was night. He goes away from the upper room, from the friendship and fellowship of Christ and his disciples forever. Never to be reunited. And once he leaves, and once he goes from the upper room, what happens next? Jesus can open up to his disciples. He's been resident thus far, but now as Judas is gone, he can open up. And he does. And this is the beginning of what's been described as the upper room message. In John, end of John chapter 13, John chapter 14, and John chapter 15, and John chapter 16, and the apex is his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, and we love it, don't we? I can't think of any more touching words in scripture than our Lord's upper room message, can you? They're glorious. Like this, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And there are just gems again and again and again and again in our Lord's ministry here to his disciples on the final night before he goes to the cross. And he says now. What does he mean when he says the word now? Judas has left. He can open up. He can be like a dying father that brings his family together and and has these parting words. And what is he going to say? How is the Lord going to open up his heart? How is he going to begin this upper room message proper? He does it by this. He says, look, now the Son of Man is glorified. He's going to talk about glory. Now what does he mean when he says now? Well, it's clear that he means his cross. He means Calvary. He means his ultimate sufferings. Now all his life was sufferings, but Calvary, because he was a man of sorrows, but Calvary was his ultimate sufferings. It was the apex of his sufferings. As he went to the cross to die for our sins. And he says, now the Son of Man is glorified. Now Jesus is always glorified, but he is especially glorified at the cross. Someone has described there's a line of electricity that sparks up at the cross. It's the apex. It's the top of the hill. It's the summit of Jesus Christ's glory is the cross. He knows the wills are in motion. Judas has left him. Very soon he's going to go to Gethsemane and then he's going to go to Calvary. Very soon he knows that those detachment of troops are going to come after he's going to pray. Not my will, but yours be done. And the next stop is that mock trial. And it was a mock trial. It was an illegal trial. And he's going to go and be mocked and be spat upon and have his beard plucked out and tread the winepress alone and go to Calvary and have nails to his hands and nails to his feet and the sky is going to go black and all our sins are going to be placed on him if we're his people. And then is Jesus Christ ultimately glorified. Now is the Son of Man glorified at the cross of Calvary. See how foreign it is to our thinking. We wouldn't have said that. A man on a Roman cross, naked, caked in blood. But that is God's way. 
And that's that time that he's glorified. Now is the Son of Man glorified. He's lifted up at the cross. Do you remember our reading? There were some Greeks, Hellenists, Greek-speaking Jews, and they came and they came to the feast. And they wanted to see Jesus. What a request. We wish to see Jesus. They came to Philip initially, and Philip came to Andrew, and Andrew and Philip came to Jesus. And what did Jesus say? Verse 23 of John 12. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. The hour has come. Many times he said, My hour has not yet come. And now he says, My hour has come. The period of time of my intense sufferings has come. In fact, there's this interplay between his hour, the hour, and the hour of darkness. Do you remember when they came to arrest our Lord and he said, this is your hour and the power of darkness, the hour of suffering, the hour of deep mysteries and darkness had come. And he says that now the time has come that the Son of Man should be glorified should be uplifted at the cross. And in fact, far from sending these Greeks away, he was giving them hope because he uses an analogy from harvest. And he says, unless the farmer would puts the seed into the ground, it doesn't matter what, how good that seed is on the surface, unless it goes into the ground and dies, there will be no harvest. There will be no fruit. It has to go into the ground and it has to die. Otherwise, it remains alone. And if Jesus Christ doesn't die, then salvation cannot come to all nations. It's imperative. How many times did our Lord say that he must go to Calvary? The Son of Man must be lifted up. It was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer. He had to do it in order for us to be saved. There's no other way other than through the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the Son of Man is glorified. Now notice how he describes himself. How does our Lord describe himself? The Son of Man. It's a common expression our Lord used. The Son of Man. What was our Lord referring to when he described himself as the Son of Man? Well, yes, he did mean his humanity. He's the son of man. He's the ideal man. But he also means his divinity. Our Lord knows his words. And he knows Daniel chapter 7. And he knows Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 and 14. And he knows that there it describes the son of man. And it says that he will be given glory. And that's why our Lord says, he's got the echoes, you see, from Daniel chapter 7. And that's why he says, now the Son of Man is glorified. Glory is given to the Son of Man by the cross. He's talking of his divinity when he says the Son of Man. Even the Son of Man, even the one who's God himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The Son of of man it's his divinity and his humanity the glorious son of man do you worship jesus christ every christian acknowledges jesus christ as savior and lord he is god and we worship him and he is in no wise 
less than the Father or the Spirit. He is God. And we worship Jesus Christ. Do you bow and worship Jesus Christ? Do you bow and worship Jesus Christ for his cross? He's glorified at the cross. His sufferings are the very illuminations of his glory. He's more uplifted and more illuminated than Blackpool illuminations of the cross. Now the Son of Man is glorified. And notice the certainty of the language. He knows he's got to go to the cross. And he knows the Son of Man is going to be glorified. Look at verse 31 again. Now the Son of Man is glorified. Jesus doesn't say anything unambiguously. He says everything clearly. He knows he is going to go to the cross. And he knows that he is going to be glorified at the cross. There's a certainty in the Christian gospel. It's not take it or leave it. It's not, it's truth for you, but not truth for me. There is something definite and something concrete in the Christian cross of Christ. He definitely went to the cross and he definitely died and he definitely died to save. And he's glorified and he's lifted up and he's proclaimed and he's put on that podium that the cross is this podium that the Son of Man is lifted up on. Our Saviour. We boast in Jesus Christ, which is why Paul, when he wrote to churches of Galatia, who were going through all sorts of problems, they were listening to legalists who were saying, you need Jesus Christ, but you need something else. You need the old ceremonial laws. And Paul, who could have written and said, I sat at the feet of Gamaliel. I'm so clever. I'm so academic. Look at the churches I planted. Look at the Christian service I've been involved in. But he didn't say that, did he? What did he say? But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom I've been crucified to the world, and the world has been crucified to me. It's the cross Is that where you boast in? It's nothing that we've done. It's not anything that we've achieved. However good, it's the cross we boast in. We boast in a slain saviour. You remember when Paul went to Corinth? He could have talked about many subjects. It was an academic city. It was like the equivalent of Cambridge or Oxford today. He could have, he could have wowed them with his rhetoric and he said, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Are you the same? We make our boast in the God-man who went to the cross and who died for our sins. Now the Son of Man is glorified. And God, talking about God the Father, is glorified in him. That's what he says at the end of verse 31. There's this two-way thing that's going on. The Son of Man is lifted up at the cross and God is lifted up at the cross God is glorified through Jesus Christ's death. How is he glorified? You think about God's characteristics. You think about what God is like. What is God like? God is holy. Where is God's holiness seen the most? At Calvary. Did you know he's that holy that if he's going to save us and if he's going to wash away our sins, it means that Jesus has to die on the cross to die for our sins. His holiness is seen at the cross. He has to punish sin because he's holy. He can't turn a blind eye to sin because he's holy. It shows his love of the cross. How do we know God loves us? 
Don't look at your circumstances. Because your circumstances are up and down like a yo-yo, aren't they? Sometimes we judge the love of God by our circumstances. When things don't go very well, we think that God's somehow loving us less. And when things go really well, we think that God is loving us more. It's rubbish. We don't look for the love of God in circumstances. We look for the love of God at Calvary. Because God in Christ has demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How do we know that God loves us? Because he'd rather see his son on a cross than see you, believer, in hell. That's why, isn't it? Because he'd rather see his only beloved begotten son in all that pain and anguish than to see any of those who the father had given eternally in torments. Isn't that glorious? Isn't that wonderful? I can't think of anything more glorious than the cross of Christ. It reveals all of God's attributes. It pulls the curtain. It puts it in, in, in picture language for us, doesn't it? The Calvary's cross. It shows the justice of God. He can't sweep sin under the carpet. He is the just and he is the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, Romans 3.26. How can God be just to declare you just when you're not just? By the cross. Do you see how God is glorified when Jesus Christ suffers? Not only does Jesus Christ spark up at the cross, God the Father sparks up at the cross. His faithfulness is seen at the cross. All his attributes come into sharp focus when Jesus dies for us. And then he goes on in verse 32 with this theme of glory. If God is glorified, as God the Father is glorified in him, Jesus Christ, the Son of Man and the Son of God, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. You see, it's one of those logical statements, isn't it? It's one of those statements that he says, if A is right, then B will be right. If it's true that God the Father is glorified by God the Son, it will also be true that God the Son will be glorified by God the Father. There is this unique bond between the Father and the Son. This incredible relationship, this credible fellowship. John mentions it at the beginning of his gospel, doesn't he? He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's like John's climbing up a hill, isn't he? And he he gets to the top. He says, in the beginning was the word. That's breathtaking. Do you know what that's saying? He's saying that Jesus Christ has never had a beginning. That blows your mind, doesn't it? And then he goes up a bit more and says, how God the Father and God the Son are in intimate relationship with each other. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. The word was in perfect harmony with God. And then he goes right to the top and says, the word was God. He's divine. He's God. What a relationship there is between God the Father and God the Son. And he talks about it, doesn't he, in John 17 in the high priestly prayer. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may also glorify you. Verse 5. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. The Father glorifies the Son. And the Son glorifies the Father. 
And what is and when is our Lord talking about now? When will this happen? Well, notice it's in the future tense. See, verse 31 is in the aorist tense. And if you want to know what aorist is, then speak to me afterwards. It doesn't matter too much. Verse 32 is the future tense. In the future. If God is glorified in him, God will also, will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. It's in the future. What's our Lord talking about? He knows that very soon, in a matter of hours, he's going to have his trial. He's going to be flogged. He's going to go to Calvary. He's going to be stripped for us. He's going to be lifted up. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah. What a savior. And he's going to die. And he's going to be put into a rich man's tomb as prophesied in the Old Testament. And three days later on the first day of the week, which is why we meet on the Lord's Day, what's going to happen? He's going to rise again. We don't serve a dead saviour. We serve a risen Lord. And don't let the sceptic forget it. They'll try and talk to you all day long about the existence of God. Try talking to them about the resurrection. There was a man and he wanted to disprove the resurrection, so he looked into all the evidence. He was that convinced he ended up writing a book for it called Who Moved the Stone? Lord Chief Justice Darling. Man not given to fantasyful opinions, is he? Top chief judge. At the old Bailey, the, the top cases, he said this, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the best attested facts in human history. Jesus rose. And then what? He appeared to over 500 people at one time. The greater part of died, said Paul. And then he ascended into heaven. He went out. But his disciples were looking. And he lifted up his hands to give the ironic blessing because he's our high priest. And they were taken from his, from his sight into heaven. And you imagine our law going into heaven. It's a bit of imagination. I'm sure it's valid. You can imagine all the angels lining up. And our Lord walks past them. And you imagine there's Michael, the archangel, and the Lord walks past him. And he sits down at the right hand of God the Father. On the throne of God. To be glorified. That's what our Lord is meaning. Similar to what, our, what Peter, Paul said about the exhortation of Christ. When in Philippians 2, he's, he's been speaking about the humiliation of our Lord because he wants to talk about humility because there were two ladies in the church that weren't getting on and needed their heads banging together. And so he says, look at our Lord and be humble and united. And he says, look at our Lord's humility. And then he documents all the steps of our Lord going down. And then he talks about the steps of our Lord going up. And he says, God who has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on the earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what he means when our Lord says, if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself. He'll be ascended and he'll be seen for who he is. 
as the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the song of the angels around the throne? What is the song of those 10,000 times, 10,000 and thousands of thousands? What are they singing? Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. That's what they're singing. They're giving our Lord the rightful place he deserves. Do you give him the rightful place? Do you give him the preeminence in all things to say this is Christ? This is the Lord Jesus Christ. Exalted in heaven who will return and take his people to himself and live forever with them and will be sharers of his glory if you're saved. And he'll do it immediately. Our Lord knows he's pressing, he's coming very soon. Going to go through that dark valley of the shadow of death and into death itself. And then what a glorious future awaits me, he knows who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Consider him who received such hostility from sinners lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Do you ever feel that Christianity is not really making headway? Do you ever really feel as if where are we going? Do you ever feel as if the tide of materialism just creeps in? Remember this, we're not at the end of the story yet. Remember this, Jesus Christ will be glorified and he'll have all the glory in heaven. There are many good hymns and one of the hymns I would like at my funeral is The Sands of Time Are Sinking. Isn't that a lovely hymn? And you remember one of the the lines about the, the lamb with his fair army doth on Mount Zion stand and glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. Glory of Christ will be known fully, finally, forever. Jesus Christ glorified. Do you understand it? I don't. You understand how God, there's God the Father and there's God the Son, and He's the only begotten of God the Father? I don't, but as we sing, when reason fails with all her powers, their faith looks up and love adores. We don't understand God. But we worship him. But we give him the glory. But we praise him. But we worship him. We adore our Christ. Have you gone cold? Have you gone cold about Calvary? Have you gone cold about the glorious cross? Then remember that Jesus Christ is glorified at Calvary. Maybe I'm speaking to you and you're not even saved. Maybe you've never come to the cross. Maybe you've never had your sins forgiven. Maybe you've been trying to uplift yourself instead of Christ. I'd plead with you tonight. Come to Christ now and trust in him and believe in him and receive him as Lord and Savior and turn away from sin and trust in Jesus Christ and receive him as you as the glorious saviour of your own soul. Have you ever done that? You need to. And then you too, when you finally enter that time of death, will go to be with him in heaven. It's one of the things we love about Christianity, isn't it? It gives us an answer for the grave. 
But we know whenever that moment is, whenever it is, and we don't know when it will be for any of us. But we know that we've got an answer for it. And we can be with Jesus Christ and glorify him in heaven. It doesn't turn our world upside down. It turns it around the right way again. We make sense of this life. We're here to glorify God. And it makes sense of the world to come. That will be glorifying him in heaven itself. We need to say glory be to God the Father. Glory be to God the Son. Glory be to God the Spirit. Great Jehovah three in one. Glory, glory. Glory, glory. While eternal ages 